This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From our living rooms, as we practice social distancing, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our panel discussion with Paul Ventimiglia, Andrea Galately, Mike Galately, Ray Billings, Julie Pitts, and Miles Blow from Bite Force, Witch Doctor, Tombstone, and Death Roll. I've heard of them. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots, or you can check out our website at www.behindthebots.com. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's combat robotics news. I have eight news items for you today. First up, we travel to Florida where extinguisher Captain John Flack posted photos of a row of CO2 tanks, which he says will power his bot's fire suppression system this season. As you'll recall, John's high school capstone project was building an autonomous robot that fights lithium battery fires. So it's pretty cool that uh, that technology is going to be making it into the battle box this season. Speaking of fire, Madcatter teammate Calvin Eba posted video to Instagram this week of a mysterious new flamethrower being tested in a garage. It appears the flamethrower spins up and ejects a combustible liquid in short bursts, generating a long stream of fire. I reached out to Calvin to learn more, and the only thing he'd tell me is that this new flamethrower is not being built for Madcatter. Mysterious. It's interesting because... In our last news item, you described a man from Florida, and in this news item, you described a man who's testing a flamethrower in a garage. <laughs> and I would have been you were talking about the same guy. <laughs> no, the Florida man's actually putting out the fires. That's is what's crazy. 2020 is so backwards. <laughs> the world is upside down. <laughs> All right, so I like this Calvin Eba flamethrower. You know what it reminds me of? The the paintings of, like, um, what is it, Roman flames? Is that what it was called? Where, like, they would fire the, the, the like, streams of fire off of the boats in the Roman Empire, but we don't know how they did it. It seems like that. This is how they did it. <laughs> Calvin <laughs> figured it out. Yeah. I think it was dragons, Kyle. You know, the boats look like dragons. That kind of makes a little bit of sense. On over to Copperhead, where teammate Luke Quinn this week posted video of the weapon on his latest hobby weight, a walker bot named Kitten Mittens. Luke says the weapon, an asymmetrical single tooth disc, will clock in at a maximum speed of 105 miles per hour. With a 50% walker weight bonus, Kitten Mittens will weigh in at 18 pounds when complete. It's absolutely terrifying weapon on this tiny walker bot. 
Color me intrigued. I cannot wait to see it in a uh, box soon. On over to the UK, where everyone's favorite elephant-themed Bonkerbot says it will likely not compete in the 2020 season of the show. Team Captain Sarah Malian writes, quote, Fear not. This is not us giving up, just being realistic. We have some serious design changes in mind, so aiming for 2021 seems the sensible way ahead for us, so that we can implement them and have an even more awesome Nelly. Sarah also writes that teammate Rara Granger is being promoted to Chief Bonk Operator. So congratulations on your promotion, Rara. Congrats, I, uh, Congrats. Um, I have an exclusive bit of information to add to this. Oh, Dude, Kyle. Spill the tea, um, Kyle. I will. So this all makes sense. I mean, we uh, anybody who like pays attention to this team kind of knew this was coming. Um, they all have jobs. You have to do that two-week quarantine whenever you come here and then go back to Europe. And, you know, Sarah's a mom. She's got a young kid. She can't leave her kid for essentially a month, you know, so she could do the quarantine and then also do the show. Um, so this all makes sense for the 2019 or the 2020 season. But uh, the news that I got was the captain of Bonk herself says that what this means is that butt fire is back on the table. All right, you're going to have to define this for me. Is it what it sounds like, fire is, coming out of the back of the robot? It is exactly what you think. It is something that they have – this team has wanted to do this since the very first, you know, featherweight iteration of Nelly the Ellie bot that, that was on the King of Bots um, UK. They've wanted butt fire, fire coming out of the elephant's butt. And now they are putting that on the table for this design. And in fact, it sounds like they're prioritizing it. <laughs> okay. Is it being powered by Taco Bell by any chance? I mean, I, I can't see any other way to power Buttfire from my personal experiences. <laughs> um that's really cool i mean that's a, a nice thing that extra time you know gives a team but i just want to really uh congratulate rara because i mean she's gonna be hungry for those wheels it's gonna probably be a year or months and months that she hasn't been fed so i would be really scared if i was any other team that uh that had wheels Ooh, are they going to put a wheel-eating attachment on the end of the bonker now just because they've got Rara driving it? I mean, that I would make the most sense. Extra motivation for her. I hope so. <laughs> also, that promotion to chief bonk officer comes with some nice executive padding and some stock option options, so that's pretty cool for her. <laughs> <laughs> An update now to a continuing story as which Dr. Captain Andrea Galately and her husband Mike continue to renovate an ambulance as their summer project. The update, the ambulance now has officially a bathroom and shower. The Galately's pulled out the ambulance's existing AC equipment and put it in a wet bath and a glass door. So Kyle, you called it. It's a wet bath. Uh, it's a wet the, bath. <laughs> the shower head, uh, you know, is hovering uh, ominously over the... Uh, the the toilets just uh i guess you know hopefully you you get the uh get the right knob you know so you don't get a, a shower while you're it just there. sounds really efficient you know like you can just take care of all the things at once yeah 
Yeah, this this camper van, this camper ambulance van is looking incredible. Um, and it's really cool to see the Galatelys um, work on a project that's not robotic, you know, like their fabrication skills, their kind of like design skills are really strong. And you can see it in just the way that it's, um, it's playing out in this ambulance camper. Um, just their their build quality is is really incredible. This thing looks professional. Um, and uh, yeah, it's gonna look awesome when, when it's done, just uh, just based on what, what we've seen so far. On over to YouTube, where this week's must-watch video comes from the Extreme Scrutiny Club, who published their interview this week with BattleBots commentator Chris Rose as part of the RoboNerd lineup of content. Chris takes the ESC audience behind the scenes at filming, where he reveals that he and Kenny Florian get a big binder at the start of every season that's full of facts about every single bot competing. I didn't know this before the interview, but Chris and Kenny also meet with every builder before the tournament starts to check in with them, learn about their bot and what they do outside of building. So um, they kind of go through this rapid fire, like all 50, 60, 70, 80 bots, um, where they sit down and, and really kind of get the story of, of every single um, builder. And that helps them kind of inform their, their color commentary um, throughout the, uh, the competition, which is really cool. Um, this video was part of RoboNerd's two weeks of content, which continues with new videos every single day. Really interesting, funny interview. Uh, we'll include a link in this week's show notes. Kyle, I know that you got a chance to listen to this uh, this podcast as you were driving home from work today. What, what did you think? Give me, give me your thoughts. Um, it was cool to get confirmation that Chris and Kenny are such pros. You know, like we knew that that they were putting all of their sports commentator chops um, into this this endeavor of doing the BattleBot show. And man, it was cool to hear Chris kind of talk about that process and and what they do to kind of get into this lesser known sport than, you know, baseball or UFC. Um, but So that made me happy. The other thing that I was really happy for was that ESC, which has gone undergone like kind of a, I guess you could say a roster change themselves, um, was able to score such a big interview and do it so well. Like this was a really fun interview to listen to. They had a great rapport yeah. with Chris. Um, and it, do, do you remember the story of uh, how they got him to be on the show? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't. Uh, remind me. So they asked him if he, they went on his cameo, which um, Chris has been very active on since COVID-19 has, you know, eliminated his job in baseball, essentially. Yeah. Um, and they said, hey, can you promote our podcast? We would love you to do, for you to do a commercial for our, our podcast um, via Cameo. And he said, I'm not actually allowed to promote organizations or media entities through Cameo. That's against like the Cameo policy. Um, but I can just be on your show. Cool. Cool. <laughs> okay. All right. Like a, a plan is forming. Like this, this is how we get to Chris Rose. Is that right? <laughs> this is how they got to Chris Rose and they had a great interview with him. It was awesome. It was such a good interview. It was a really, really strong interview. Like I, I loved how conversational it was and I love how, uh, like Chris just un, like reveals how much he knows about the sport. And like, it's remarkable because he, he was hired for the first season of ABC and he admits in this interview that he came in without any prior knowledge of combat robotics, didn't see the original run of the show. And, you know, as you know, he can now like, he understands it at like this really 
kind of cool level. Um, and uh, and you can see kind of like the passion that he has for the sport come out in this uh, this interview, and that was that was really cool to to hear. He's, he's a straight up fan now, and that's really cool. That's exactly what you want. Yeah. On number two, Team Mammoth, which is giving away at least one of its battle damage frames to a fan who can come up with the most creative thing to do with it. You might recall that back in late July, Team Captain Ricky Willems said he is running out of space for his many, many, many mammoth frames and insect weight versions of Mammoth that he had in his possession. This week, he offered to give away a Mammoth frame that was damaged in its fights against Gemini and Wan Hu, and later traveled to Orlando and back for Robot Ruckus. You can enter to win on Mammoth's Facebook page. Uh, Kyle, I saw that you, uh, you, <laughs> you entered to win with your own creative idea. Pitch it to us, all right? Tell, tell Ricky why, why you deserve this, this Mammoth frame. Man, I, I wish I had a better idea. I honestly do, but what I do have is this really great overhang off of the back of my sunroom and my house that overlooks our garden out back, right? And it's just big enough that I could create a really beautiful set of mammoth wind chimes made out of these chromoly pieces. Um, so sacrilege. I would like sacrilege, Kyle. Wait, you so he would he would send you this frame and you would cut it apart. Is that correct? I mean, it's already in pieces, you know, it's, it's already each individual, like, like piece and chunk that's been beaten apart by all of those other robots. You know, he, he faced some really serious competition with that frame. All right. You, you've brought up an interesting question and, um, I, I'm going to ask it here because I feel like, yeah, you know, this group knows a lot. Um, and I don't know anything about wind chimes. We, we have a very famous wind chime maker up near us in the Hudson Valley. And I always felt like, you know, to justify the cost of these very expensive wind chimes, you know, it must be like there's there's got to be some engineering in there. Like it, it makes really nice sound, like based on the, the thickness of the, the chimes and all that. Like if you were to make a mammoth wind chime, would it just sound like steel pipes just banging against each other? I all, have all no hours idea of the night? what powder coated chromoly sounds like when you bang it together. <laughs> I honestly don't. Um, so no, I, I really don't know. I, that was my first thought. I, it would fit there. It would, it would look nice. I have no idea if it would sound nice. Um, I'd imagine that the powder coating on the chromoly would kind of deaden the sound a little bit. It's either going to sound like the battle box 24 hours a day. Or is this going to sound like car accidents 24 hours a day? You know what I should do is I should like figure out a resonance chamber to put at the top of each one so that when they bang together, it just sounds like hollow bones banging together. You know, like somebody created like a uh, a prehistoric bone instrument that's like thump, 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 thump when you bang it together. That's what I should do with it. That All would right. be a great Halloween decoration. Ooh, that would be a great, a great Halloween decoration. I'm curious, you know, uh, Chris, Lindsay, do you have any other ideas of what you would do with a spare mammoth frame if you were to well, win one? Well, first of all, Luke, you can't just move on to a different subject without bringing up the absolutely wonderful decorative pieces that they sell <laughs> at Woodstock Chimes. <laughs> We've been around since like probably 1850 making somehow these musical pieces of metal that you hang up in a tree and annoy all your neighbors. And we're going to sell it to you at our discount factory sale. It's not $1,000 today. It's only 8 bucks. 
<laughs> you take these things home, you cherish them. Chris, Woodstock I, I really appreciate you bringing that up. I should have. You're right. Woodstock Chimes does a wonderful job. www.woodstockchimes.com. <laughs> Unfortunately, okay. their Woodstock Chimes warehouse sales have all been postponed due to COVID. So another casualty of 2020. But uh, check out their website. Oh, oh as, a recent, as a recent <laughs> transplant away from... The Hudson Valley. I didn't know that that happened. They ended the warehouse sales because of COVID. Yeah, yeah. There's a big, um, like a, uh, what you call it, sign. Yeah. Apparently, like as soon as the catastrophe happened, there was like such a strong run on wood <laughs> on, on these on these chimes <laughs> that they had to close up shop. Like people were being stampeded. People are stocking up on emergency rations. Got to fill your closets with these wind chimes. <laughs> Uh, Chris, Chris, it's not www.woodstockchimes.com. All right, it's www.chimes.com. They've been around for so long that they own chimes.com. They cornered the market on chimes. <laughs> wow. Really now I understand why their phone number is 000 chime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, if, Woodstock Chimes. Yeah. If, uh, Getting back to the main subject, now that we've, you know, really given Woodstock Chimes some free advertising, um, I would use Mammoth to till up the uh, the soil in our backyard that we need mm. to plant grass in. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a great one. It could even, like, it could help by, you know... Um, Yeeting some of the some of the soil and weeds. It'll yeet the dirt over to the neighbor that we don't like. Oh, I know what you're <laughs> turning into now. Just just having said yeet made me think. The season is almost upon us. I would turn mammoth into a pumpkin chucker. Ooh. Oh, Chris. Okay. Yeah. Go just, post that on that thread right now. Dude, that's a good idea. That's a fantastic idea. Oh, he's going right now. I'm going. He has his phone up. I'm going right now. All right, Chris. <laughs> Chris, you could chuck the pumpkins straight into the Hudson River. There's no way you're going to hit the other side. All right. What if you could? What if you could? What <laughs> if you could? The frame could handle it. I guarantee. Um. Okay, Ricky. We need to win. This <laughs> has to happen. Ricky, we didn't win Sharko. Okay, give us this. He's literally leaving a comment as From we speak. From these bones, I would craft a pumpkin chucker the world like the world has never seen before. <laughs> How can Ricky say no? How? What are some of the other suggestions on there now that you're there, Chris? Uh... Let's see. We got uh, some guy wrote wind chimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to win. <laughs> not with pumpkin chucker in the mix. All right. It's up. All right. All right. Let's, let's go over there. Let's, let's give Chris uh, some, some likes on that, that thread. I'm just going to, I'm going to put, I'm going to do a, like a, like a, a care emoji on the wood wind chimes one. <laughs> <laughs> I fully admit my idea is uninspired and I'm now throwing all of my energy into Chris's idea. So here we go. If we can't have chimes in 2020, we can at least have 
pumpkin chuggers. I got a couple of neighbors that have like a like an eight pound pumpkin coming their way. <laughs> it's automatically socially distanced. I mean, it's perfect. Ooh. Chris, I thought you were going to say I have a couple of neighbors who have pumpkin chuckers already. <laughs> well, I do live in a rural area, so that is a that's a very strong possibility. And I wouldn't even say that this is a socially distant activity. This is a socially vengeance activity. Ooh. I, I will tell you, Chris, I lived out in California for a very long time and uh, you would drive out to the Central Valley and they would set you up for, I don't know, five bucks a shot or whatever. You could man your own like giant, huge air powered pumpkin cannon and shoot cannons at cars out in like the middle of a, a field. It was pretty incredible. It's a, California, man. It's a wild west. <laughs> it's a wild west. Yeah, like uh, we we got to talk like the double jeopardy, you know, team into to just scaling up that bot. Like start start shooting pumpkins, you know. Right. That, uh, yeah. Switch from you know shooting a, a, a metal cylinder to a pumpkin, and then you know we got we got some fun brewing. And finally, from the world of delightful tweets, Team Mobot Captain Craig Danby this week tweeted that he had dreamt that he had appeared on a game show called Jennifer Aniston is Trying to Kill Me. I'm not exactly sure how the game was structured in his dream, but count me in, I'd watch. Lindsay, uh, you got a chance to read uh, Craig's wild tweets this uh, this week, yeah? Yeah, uh, you brought this to my attention, so then naturally I had to go check out and see what other whimsical things he tweeted about. Um, and, you know, not all of them can I necessarily read out onto uh, a child-friendly podcast, but I do recommend you go look at them because they're pretty, uh, they're pretty funny. You get, um, you get an insight into, you know, his, uh, his daily uh, whereabouts. I, I think that this game show idea is great. Like, I would absolutely watch Jennifer Aniston's Trying to Kill Me. What would the final, like, round of that game show be called? Like Final Jeopardy or, uh, I don't know, what you would call it in Wheel of Fortune. Guess the words. Or... <laughs> Guess the words. I See, I, I see it may, maybe more as like a reality show where if, if you can survive until the end, then you win like a million dollars. But, you know, you start with 10 and Jennifer Aniston kills like nine it's, people. You know? It's 16 people on the island and Jennifer Aniston has a knife. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so it's like Survivor, but you, you fire Jeff Probst and you put in Jennifer Aniston, but she also has a motivation to kill you. Like, just like Jeff Probst. <laughs> yeah, like a slightly more sadistic Jeff Probst. And that's apparently it for this week's news. After the break, the BattleBots Champions panel at Maker Fair Miami. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the BattleBots Championship Panel. My name is Luke Stengel. I'm one of the co-hosts of the weekly podcast, Behind the Bots, where we share news from the world of combat robotics and in-depth interviews with BattleBots builders, past, present, and future, every single week. Tonight, it's my great pleasure to lead a conversation with Paul Ventimiglia, Andrea Galately, Mike Galately, Ray Billings, Julie Pitts, and Miles Blow, from Bite Force, Witch Doctor, Tombstone, and Death Roll each of whom advanced to the BattleBots top four during the 2019 season of the show, which aired on the Discovery Channel. I want to extend a special thank you to Julian Miles, who are joining us tonight from Australia, where it is very early on a Saturday morning. We are so happy that you're able to dial in. 
we get started, I'd like to invite you to send in your questions for the panelists using the Q&A function at the bottom of your screen. It's right next to uh, the chat function. Um, we have dozens of questions already in the queue, but we'll do our best to get to most, if not all, of your questions live. So to kick us off, I'd love to do a quick round of introductions, starting with Paul. So uh, Paul, are you with us? Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your robot, ByteForce? Thanks, Luke. It's a pleasure to be here with you all, and uh, thanks for everyone attending virtually. So I'm Paul Ventimiglia. I live in Silicon Valley. As a, I work as a mechanical engineer uh, with my uh, fiance and teammate, Tina. And I've been competing in BattleBots for the past 19 years. And uh, I'm very fortunate to lead a team uh, that's created the multiple time champion robot ByteForce. And uh, we're very fortunate to have done well in the past. And it's uh, an honor to be amongst this group of, of good competitors. Paul, I, um, I, I can't, uh, can't help but see your, your background. It looks so great back there. You've got your Legos, you've got ByteForce, you know, uh, from Hexbugs, and your giant nuts back there, right? Yeah, so we're in the process of still settling to this house, but I pulled out some of the fun, fun toys here for display. And uh, the giant nuts are, make the table very heavy. They're 38 pounds <laughs> each, so it's, it's heavy to lift them up. My arms are a little sore right now. And I'm also just a big fan of Lego and building things ever since I was a kid. So I'm always into just making things and creating things and a uh, big fan of Maker Fair events too. Yeah, that's really great. On over to uh, Andrea and Mike who are dialing in from Miami. Can you introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit more about your robot, Witch Doctor? Uh, hi, Luke. Uh, like you said, my name's Andrea. I'm a biomedical engineer. So when I'm not fighting robots, I'm uh, fixing human bones. So uh, they sound like completely worlds apart, but they actually have a lot in common. And uh, I've been building robots for the past 18 years, so not quite as long as Paul, but we did build robots together when we were practically just kidding. Uh, Michael Ailey, uh, I've been building robots. I got started uh, in BattleBots IQ in uh, 2004. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about Witch Doctor. Um, it's been largely the same over, uh, for the first, or for these last four seasons. Um, it's a vertical uh, disc spinner, four wheel drive, uh, we've gone through a bunch of iterations with the robot, uh, just kind of tweaking the design year after year. And um, we did all right last year, I think. Not you know, great, but. <laughs> and I'd say what uh, makes our team stand out the most is that we try to build really competitive robots, but we try to do it in a way that's really entertaining and kind of unique to our team. Uh, so we're well known for competing in our skeleton uh, hats and homemade skeleton jackets. Awesome. Ray Billings is uh, one of the most feared competitors from BattleBots. Um, and Ray, I was hoping that you can introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Tombstone. Sure. Um, all right, I'm, uh, I'm Ray Billings. Um, I live in Placerville, California. And my first event was in 2001, so I've been competing for about the same 19 years as Paul. Um, I recently worked at Intel Corporation. Um, here ways back I retired, so now, I, now I'm a retired bum and I sit at home and play with robots. That's my job now. Uh, Tombstone is a, a horizontal bar spinner. Um, configuration on that robot essentially hasn't changed since it was first built as a super heavyweight in 2004. So I've been slowly fixing little issues, little iterations all the way along since then. And so it's, it's kind of a fairly honed machine at this point in time. There's not a whole lot of changes I'm going to make going forward. Um, it's been a it's been a great hobby. It's been a, a great way to for me to connect with my son and 
you know, I've got a great team um, and I'm happy to be here with the, the rest of these guys because there's all great teams right here. That's so great. And finally, I'd love to hear from our Australian friends, Julian Miles. Can you introduce yourselves and uh, tell us about Death Roll? Hi, um, my name's Julie Pitts. Um, Miles and I have been working together for probably 23 years now. We, we met at uni um, doing a visual arts degree. So we, our background is in art and film. So we come from a very different background than a lot of other uh, people who make robots. Uh, we, we originally um, thought we'd learn about the electronics a little bit more and um, make animatronic puppets for our stop motion film, uh, but then got hooked, of course, and uh, the, the films have sort of been put aside and, and robots have taken totally over. Um, but um, we, we um, started with Death Roll in 2016. We've probably been doing the robots for about 10, 11 years now. Um, but in 2016, we, um, the, the team, Steve Martin and um, Miles and I, and at the time there was a couple of other members, but uh, in 2019, it was Glenn Rose who came into the team. Um, do you want to talk about Death Row? Uh, yeah, it's a vertical four-wheel drive uh, disc, um, vertical disc four-wheel drive uh, robot. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, got the, the self-riding arm uh, on the back. Um, and um, yeah, it worked, worked pretty good this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I really just have one question for the panel, you know, before we dive straight into fan questions, because we have so many of them. And I'd love to, uh, to stay with you, um, Julian Miles, you know. Um, can you tell me about your impressions of uh, the journey to the top four last season? So you started, um, you know, flew to America with this this new robot and um, and can you can you tell us about that that journey to, to get to um, to the, the top of the sport that uh, that season? It was a pretty amazing experience for us because in 2016 when we um, first came over with Death Roll, we sort of bombed out pretty quick <laughs> and um, we did have a lot of time then though to sort of meet other robot builders. We're pretty big fans of BattleBots. So just to be there with everyone else was amazing. Um, last year, we, we sort of, I remember laughing on the plane over, we were just thinking, what if we just won one? You know, just the, the idea of, of going over there and winning one, that was just amazing. Um, when we look back, I think it just goes so quick. Everyone else would agree with this. Like when you do win um, the next battle, your concentration is just so, much on getting the, the robot ready and the best you can to go out there and fight again. So for us, it, it was constant is something we had never experienced before. Um, and I don't think we realized it till long time we came back to Australia that what we'd actually done. It, it just goes so fast when you're there and you're working so hard. Um, yeah, you don't get time to do much of anything else except uh, fix a robot and go and fight. and. Yeah, we didn't get much time to, to sort of, you know, move around and talk to many people this time. So. We, didn't, we didn't even get any time to get selfies with all our, no! with all our, <laughs> with all our heroes. So. And in 2016, we got like a thousand yeah. photos. We got wall to wall selfies in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was amazing. Like for us, it, the experience was unbelievable. Um, you know, just winning one. And I remember one night going out afterwards with the guys and, 
we had the little pogs that you get. I think they're called pogs, aren't they? We didn't know what that meant. And we put them in our hands. I think at that stage we had four and it was just like, oh, this is just, you know, can't, can't believe this is happening. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's Fully. so incredible. I mean, yeah, Fully, your, your journey to the top four was, was great. You know, and I'm curious as you're, as you're reflecting on it, you know, at the end of the season, what was it that really helped you get all the way to, to the end of the competition? I, th I think um, reliability probably for us um, being able to uh, bounce back again. I mean, that first fight with Endgame, we thought we'd had it. Of course, we thought this is it. It's just like it was in 2016 that we were gone. Um, I think the reliability, uh, it, it just came back every time. And, um, you know, the, the design of the robot, I think, it, compared to 2016, we, we sort of took the tail off. And uh, I, I think that just the way that it's designed and built, it just sort of comes back, it bounces back. And, and I mean, you, all of you guys would know that, that you've just got to be reliable. You've got to be able to go up to the roof and come back down on yourself and, and not break. <laughs> yeah, and all robots are one wire away from losing. So uh, it's just making sure all those wires are really padded. <laughs> Nothing loose, everything has to have foam around it and uh, locked down really hard. Uh, and you just got to be real fussy on the wiring. And, um, and also the other thing that we improved uh, that, well, Steve and Glenn did most of the, the effort on this. So um, that they really uh, redesigned the chassis. So it was a lot, um, a lot tougher, like the side, like the wheels have like gaps and they're shock mounted. So um, they can handle hits. Um, whereas our first time uh, the, the hub motors were just sort of bolted to the frame with like five mil of, um, of uh, space, so it didn't have no air, no air, so um, stuff like that. You can only learn. That was our first heavyweight um, back then, so you, you learn through trial and error of what works and what doesn't. Because in Australia, there is no heavyweight arena, so it's kind of like the first time they they get tested is in the battle box with the weapon going and um, uh, to see if it works. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I must imagine that that's a lot of pressure. Um, I'd, I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to go over to uh, to Ray and and ask you about uh, your experience last season and your journey to the uh, the top four. What, uh, what what was the story like? You know, I guess from from your perspective. Um, well, we I think we had a really good season last year, um, but we we had a we had a rough time getting everything back together after the fire in the uh, the rotator match. Um, so when they were, you know, the batteries caught on fire and whatnot, and, you know, we're driving through the rest of the match with the, with the robot flame coming out of it. When the match was over, because they don't show any of this on TV, they're trying to deal with the, 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 get the robot out. And it was actually upside down at that point in time. So they stood it up on its, on its butt so they could try to get the fire to go out. And they really couldn't, and they just sort of just let it burn there for 25 minutes before it, they could do something with it. When they stood it up, now it turned into a big chimney, and all the fires coming up inside the robot, going past all my electronics, all my wiring, all my power switches. If they just left it alone, I, I, I wouldn't have lost anywhere near as much as I did. As it was, I lost everything. There wasn't a single part inside that I was able to save. I mean, it, it burned up everything. So... It, 
we had a heck of a time putting together something that worked after that. And so that the, it was, it was kind of rough. I was just expecting it wasn't going to work after all, everything we had to do. And if we'd had any other electronic failures going through the end of the tournament, I don't know what I would have done because I, we used all my spare parts to get it back together after that fire. So it was, it, it was a great event. I mean, you know, obviously we always go to win. And so, you know, we, we got deep in the tournament. And, you know, we'll try to address those things for next time and do better. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I, I had no idea that you essentially had to build a new robot there Correct. at BattleBots in the pits. Like, is that, is, is that stressful, you know, because you spend months well, building the first one and then days? It, it, we, we had a fair amount of time, so we had enough time to do it all. But there are things that you don't expect to have to replace that we had to replace. So like, um, you know, the uh, burning the batteries, some give damaged batteries that happens, but like there was a bus bar arrangement on top of the batteries that I have used for 12 years that burned up and was gone. So, I mean, it, it, you know, I've had pieces like that where there's just no way I was expecting those things to, to be, be damaged. And so we had to fabricate things in the pits to get the robot working again that I just wasn't normally used to thinking of having to fix. About the only internal part I was able to save, there's a, a titanium plate that the weapon motor is mounted to. And that was essentially the only part that I was able to reuse to rebuild it again next time. Even things that, like it got hot enough burning the chain, it burned all of the oil out of the chain. I had to throw the chain away. I wasn't able to use that again. So I mean, it was just like, virtually everything inside the robot was gone. Wow. Um, Andrea and Mike, yeah, I'd love to hear about your uh, your memories of the 2019 season and this incredible run, you know, uh, that, that Witch Doctor had last year. Uh, yeah, you know, I think Paul and Ray had been to the top four before, so they kind of knew what to expect and what it took once he got up to that level. Uh, I think we were more in the camp of death row where we were, you know, ecstatic to be in the top 16, super excited every match we won, like we had won the finals, you know, because just so excited to advance. Um, we had one Witch Doctor the entire tournament. We did have spare parts, but we were switching them out on the same chassis, which as you get deeper and deeper in the tournament becomes harder and harder because each opponent is getting more difficult and also your robot has suffered more and more with each match. Um, I'd say our match with Death Row was probably the most damage that we got the entire tournament. Getting the robot turned around to fight uh, Bite Force after that was a ridiculous undertaking. Um, we had help from about seven other teams, including Paul, who helped us out with motors right before we fought him. Um, so, yeah, we had teams giving us lunch tickets so that we would actually eat before the match because it was a long day. Uh, we had um, Breaker Box giving us extra tools so that all eight of us on the team could actually work at the same time because it was just so intense. We had people helping us grind down armor from Tantrum. Um, the list goes on and on. So it's just the whole community really came together to help us get into that box for the, for the finals. Wow. That's really cool. Um, and, and Paul, you know, your, your, your run um, in 2019, I guess like when, when you started the season, did you expect that you were going to make the championship again? Um, like, is it a given um, by force, um, you know, making the top four every single year? Um, what, what, what were your impressions of the, uh, the 2019 season? Yeah, overall, um, no, we never assume or expect um, any result because, in fact, it's the opposite. Every single competition I have or year that I go on, um, 
it's just harder to do well because every opponent constantly works harder and harder and builds better machines. Um, so way back in the early 2000s, there were a lot of really crappy robots. Now there aren't. There are really amazing robots. And um, any of the little tips and tricks you pick up along the way, everyone has those same tips and tricks, uh, even if it's like their first robot compared to uh, back in the day. And going into it, uh, usually by the time the event starts, I'm so exhausted. It's what they don't sort of show on the TV show. Is And every all the builders have alluded to, especially I was pitted next to Ray and seeing him rebuild from the fire and seeing Mike and Andrea repairing the robot with their team, uh, you know, just right before the, the finals, um, seeing the reliability of death roll. The reason that matters so much is because it's, we love BattleBots, we're super passionate about it, but it is very grueling uh, and taxing on your body and everything. So by the time the event starts, um, I'm just relieved usually to get some sleep and see everyone, it's really fun. Uh, but that particular year in 2019, the day before the event started, I learned that my sister had passed away suddenly, um, and my family is all on the East Coast, and uh, there was a lot of confusion about, uh, I'm not going to go into details, but the nature of her death and what had happened, and we did not know the information. I wasn't able to immediately fly out there because there were so many unknowns. Um, we weren't, we were delaying the funeral for some time. Um, and because of that, I'm over here in California, you know, we're packing up in 18 hours or 16 hours driving away. Um, my teammates really just stepped up big time and, uh, I, and everyone's close with their teammates, I think, but, uh, you know, having really close teammates is what helped get me through that. And so at that time I was just thinking, I don't assume I'm even competing. I don't even think I'm going to be there. Um, you know, I alerted sort of the couple of, BattleBots production crew because you know, we have contracts and I have uh, you know, business relationships with sponsors and things. So at the time I sort of told all the key people, hey, I have no idea what's gonna happen. Um, but my teammates basically took on the, the brunt of the effort for finishing everything up. And my uh, parents, because of the unusual situation, were planning to actually keep traveling. They were gonna to go to the BattleBots filming. So they wanted to come over there and visit me to be with me as sort of distraction because of they couldn't do anything at home. Um, and so that was uh, mostly what my mind was thinking about during the event. And I sort of on purpose kept that secret from uh, most competitors and people in the building because I wanted to have sort of the positive distraction from people that I really liked and, and um, take my mind off of things. And that was really helpful. And of course, I, I told a few key people as needed. Um, and I had so many close good friends in that building and, and family in that building. So it was really special to have everyone around. Um, and competition wise, we never assume, you know, the robot's gonna, gonna win or do well. And we treat every match like it's your last one because the point of BattleBots really is to survive, uh, not get knocked out more so than it is to, to win. Um, because even if you are doing well in a match and any one wire breaks, you're out. Um, we had some really tough matches early on. Uh, against Yeti and Hypershock, where they caused a lot of frame damage. And it was the first year we ever had two versions of Bite Force actually operational at the same time. Um, and so we were able to immediately tear down one robot to repair the frame when it was really broken and sort of have the other one ready. And that was really powerful that year uh, to make use of sort of switching between the two robots. 
And um, the robots are identical for all intents and purposes, except how they get damaged. And um, so that, that here sort of became a, a blur to me, but hearing the stories from other people uh, reminds me of it and brings me back to it. Um, and I think each each match to me, whether it's the Friday, like the fight nights or it's the final championship match feels the same. No, no match feels any different to me. Yeah. Yeah, and thanks very much for, for sharing that story. Um, when you when, when you go back in a couple months, like a couple months after the competition ended and you were able to watch it as a fan, watch your performance. It you was know, pretty um, surreal to see look back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, seeing, seeing the matches for the first time on TV, I, I felt like I was watching it like a fan, just sort of not remembering what had happened for a lot of those. Yeah. I'd love to uh, to stay with you and, and start uh, jumping into to fan questions. Um, so our, our first fan question is from Owen Carey, who asks, I have a question for Paul. Are you making a special configuration in 2020 for Walker Chomp? And maybe you can give some uh, some context for uh, for this question. Sure. Um, so Chomp is the uh, only robot in the modern BattleBots reboot that's defeated our, our team. Uh, with, the, with their hammer, they had a really great shot right into our weapon chain. Um, and especially that year, the judging was especially about your having your primary weapon remain active um, and using that to score points and things. And um, I've known you know, Dasha and Zoe for, for many years, uh, great team. So I, we don't really make particular attachments for specific robots, but we do have armor for people like hammer robots. Uh, I, I assume they're coming back with a hammer again, I assume, but um, anything is possible. And so the normal configuration of Bite Force that has just the four wedgelets, sort of like I have the, the, this version of the robot is pretty underweight, um, usually about 20 or 25 pounds. And so what you don't see is that we can put on a lot of extra armor panels on the top, for example, whenever we're facing a robot with an overhead attack. Um, and so against a hammer robot, it's it's pretty optimal for us because we have the most free weight. Um, so whenever we do that, you just don't notice it, but we have doubled or tripled up armor panels and additional um, armor over the uh, motor area. And ever since we fought Chomp, we did specifically add more armor. Uh, we knew about this before the event, but we just ran out of time and energy and money to armor every part of the robot. Um, so after that event, we added uh, thick plastic armor and a machined aluminum billet front armor chain guard. Um, we've had that ever since. It's a uh, coming season of Battle Boss. There's a super heavyweight uh, bonus for, for walkers and uh, Zoe and Yasha are returning with a walking version of Chomp um, that is allowed to weigh up to 500 pounds. So that's uh, probably one of the most exciting kind of new new additions to the competition this year. And I would imagine uh, that the producers would would uh, match the two of you again, you know, for uh, for this kind of grudge match. Um, and I'm really excited to, to see that. Um, we, we have another fan question from Gil Hoba, who asks, in one of the matches last season, Bite Force took out Uppercut with one hit. I noticed that Paul didn't go for a weapon on weapon hit Instead, he aimed for uppercut's front corner. Are there generally parts of a bot you aim for that are juicier targets than others? And are there sorts of builds that produce geometric weak spots? There is more of a timing situation than a particular area of a robot to hit. Um, and there's also areas I avoid more than areas I aim for. 
so in the case of uppercut, it was actually one of the most challenging matches for me to drive in, even though it was very short, uh, because they just did something a little unexpected that I hadn't planned on. Uh, I think I was going to go box rush them, but they sat in place and just rotated and they have these long forks out in front. So I didn't want to just drive up their forks into their spinner. Um, so in that case, I, I did a little uh, sort of jog maneuver and the moment they were off, you know, slow to respond, we just drive in fast at an angle and that's really optimal for us. Um, so it looks like we like to face people head on. That's not my first choice. I always want to face someone or I'm catching their corner. So anytime someone exposes any type of edge or corner um, at all, I just want to plow forward to that. I don't really look at what part of their robot that is. Um, and generally, if it's front onto their robot, I have to decide if we should disengage or, or go for it or not. Usually it depends on if we think we can get underneath them. And uh, finally, I have a, a fun fan question from Francois Pelsier about the, uh, the giant nut that's in the background. So what are you going to build with those huge nuts and bolts? I, so from what I understand, those are real nuts and bolts and that what the giant nuts, like 22 pounds, something like that. They uh, actually have it specially machined. You, you could, I guess, build something with it, right? <laughs> So there, there are 38 pounds of solid aluminum. Um, they do function as real nuts. I mean, they, they are real pieces of metal, but no one would use this identical nut because they're aluminum and anything of that size would certainly be steel in a real application. Um, they do fit with the giant bolt. Um, I was able to test that with the huge team um, over at, at WPI one day where we threaded the, the hex, uh, giant nut onto the bolt. And Ray has both, I think. So Ray can- yeah, can I, I have them both and they do thread <laughs> together, yeah. I'm jealous of that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I don't have a plan to build something particular with them, but um, I would like to um, have some type of trophy mantle or something like that. Uh, Tina and I are, are working on our, our house now. And so I, I haven't set that up yet, but um, I'd love to have them on display and uh, it, we, I would always want, wanted to build something like a smaller version. We've talked about it in our team for our teammates and sponsors as a, as a gift. So I plan on doing some more research on it in the future, but I don't know if it's like exactly to scale of a certain nut or not. Um, I know it's sort of hand machined by an old school machine shop up in uh, Alameda or Berkeley. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I wanted to head over to Australia with uh, Julian Miles and ask you a couple questions about Death Row. We've got so many fan questions from Australia. A lot of questions about the local robotics scene. Um, so Brandon Carr asks that exact question. Can you tell us about the robot fighting scene in Australia? Right. Um, it, it's pretty active, actually. I mean, not right at the moment, <laughs> but uh, um, it has been. And Back in oh, oh, 10, 11 years ago, when we wanted to, we actually found a magazine in a secondhand shop and um, it had these robots in it. And we work in the special effects industry and we thought, how come we haven't seen these before? So we got in contact with the local, um, well, we, we looked online and it said Robo Wars Australia. So we got in contact and went to the first competition that we'd ever seen before. And it was just a, um, you know, featherweights sort of fighting in an arena uh, without a roof on <laughs> way back then. Um, but then we didn't have very many spinners either back then. So 
um, it, it, it's been here for so long, but these guys have um, sort of been doing it like Steve and Glenn and, and there's guys down in Victoria, they've been doing it for ages. So they're pretty quiet and they're pretty modest. And, and I, I think maybe that's like how it is in most places. It's, it's kind of under, it was hard to find, but eventually we did and we got into it that way. Um, it slows down and then picks up again um, when some of the core people seem to move around Australia, they'll move states. And um, in 2016, uh, when we went over to, to BattleBots, we were really excited when we saw, well, we call them ant weights. I think they're insect weights over there. I'm not sure. We've got the 150 gram ones. Um, and how excited everyone was about it over there. And it, and it was like a big deal. So when we came back, we thought, oh, let's try and get the ant weights back working again here in Australia. Because it had died down a bit. People had moved around. Um, at the, about the same time, there was South Australia starting to, um, to, to have a club and then Victoria. Um, and then we've got the Ipswich Robotics Sports Group. So there are small groups around Australia um, that do the ant weights and the beetle weights. Then we have Robo Wars Australia, uh, and that, that's run by Steve Martin, uh, Death Roll's captain, uh, and uh, he runs fe uh, the featherweight competition. So we have sportsmen and an open class. Uh, so it, it's quite active. Um, Sometimes it's hard to find where everyone is, <laughs> but but we are here and we are building and we do have competitions. We've just had a beetle weight and we've got an ant weight coming up here in Queensland in the next month. So it is there. You've got to kind of seek it out and find it. But um, some of these guys have been doing it here since the early 2000s, maybe, I don't know, late 1900s or something. But yeah. Since it was probably invented uh, by, uh, you know, yeah, since they probably Greg saw Monson Robo and, uh, Wars yeah. and Battle Watch, yeah. you know, like um, they started, we were like backyard, but most of the competitions were just in people's backyards and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it's yeah. pretty exciting. This is, a, uh, this is a perfect segue for our next question from Darren Kovach, who says, I'm a fellow Australian. How do we get our feet into the game as Australians? Well, I guess I guess it's turning up to events and seeing what works and what doesn't work, and then um, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you need basic tool skills, or you need to learn them. Uh, you got to be able to solder wires together, or solder, as you guys say, um, <laughs> uh, and uh, and drill holes, uh, things like that. You got to be able to do that, um, uh, and then yeah, turn up to events, see what what works, and then I mean. Uh, the ant weights are really good. I mean, in Australia, we have the 150 gram ant weights. So uh, they're always good. If you've got a 3D printer and if you can draw a, a robot design on a 3D printer, print it out, you can do an ant weight. And if you can do an ant weight, then you can send it to the, uh, send the DXF to the laser cut place and get a heavyweight built. But the trick is, um, yeah, making sure the weight is right and, uh, and then just, yeah, trial and error until it works. <laughs> It, it's like just build, you know, just try and build one. There's lots of support out there to help you to, to get the um, things that you need to, to build. It's just getting there and building it and coming and battling. I mean, I, I didn't know anything much about building a robot or anything until I did one and it was after the first battle. 
was when I went, ah, I get it now. <laughs> so it took me to have my first actual three-minute battle to realise, ah, yeah, this is, you need to have a tougher robot. <laughs> You've got to be able to steer it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got to last three minutes. <laughs> so any of those switches from the electronic shops, they don't work. They just explode on the first hit. And a lot of times people seem to think they have to have engineering background. Like we get people say, oh, I can't do it. You know, like I don't, I'm not an engineer. And it's like, we're good examples. We're artists. So, uh, and as I said earlier on, we thought we'd learn heaps of electronics to build animatronics and which we did. Um, very different mindset people um, that make robots than in the arts and film industry. And we really enjoy that part of it uh, hugely. Just the dive that we've got a doctor in, in uh, just a GP who builds robots, you know, like. Dr. Hobb. Yeah. So it's just like, um, I don't know, you don't have to have this sort of, you know, amazing background of being an engineer. Uh, you know, you can build a robot out of a found object. That's one of my great loves. <laughs> yeah, well, in Australia, the, what you do is you just get um, drill, uh, cordless drill motors and then just hack those into your, your drive system and then you've got your featherweight drive. So you can get your robot driving for, um, you know, 50 bucks. Um, of, uh, and we, we have this um, scrapyard shop that we go to, the Browns Plains Tip Shop, and uh, they have drills there for three bucks, ex-tradey drills. So uh, we just uh, grab those and we've got a huge uh, shelf full of uh, uh, recycled drills and they all work. Drills don't break, the batteries break. So don't throw out your drills. You could be building robots with them. <laughs> Good advice. Yeah. Um, I'd like to move over to, uh, to Witch Doctor. Um, we have a question from BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr who asks, what as a team has kept you motivated to keep improving Witch Doctor? I feel like Witch Doctor's stories like improvement every single year like really kind of this relentless drive for for improvement so like what what's the motivation there as as a team yeah i mean obviously you know the, the obvious answer is to, to come home with a giant nut but uh you know we'll never take that from paul obviously so uh, uh for us it's really just the the the, the challenge the engineering challenge uh, the design challenge to come back year after year and and uh, improve the robot. Um, you know, you don't really know, like uh, Death Roll said earlier, is these robots are 250 pounds and you can't really test it safely anywhere uh, other than at BattleBots. So the first time you spin up your weapon is in the test box at BattleBots, you know, maybe a day or two before your first fight. So, uh, and then the first time you hit something else that weighs 250 pounds is in your first fight. And yes, yeah. wires come unplugged. You, you know, your hardware falls out or whatever, uh, you, you learn all these failure modes as you, as you, you know, go through this competition. And, um, you know, the first season or first two seasons of BattleBots where it was uh, double elimination or, and there was no qualifying rounds, you go there and you lose and that's it, you're done. Um, but now the, the qualifying rounds, you get more uh, attempts at, you know, kind of fixing your robot fixing maybe it's a dumb little thing that you forgot to tighten down or whatever. And that, that costs you a match potentially. And you can go back to your next fight um, kind of with your tail between your legs, but at least you, you know, you do get another shot uh, at putting the robot in the arena and seeing what it can do. So, um, you know, for me personally, it's just like the engineering challenge of going back and, and uh, 
proving ourselves that we can build a better robot while still being, you know, keeping it fun. And uh, I think the aesthetic is a big part of it for us too, you know, making the robot uh, look cool and function well. And obviously we've had to kind of shift our priorities over, over the first, uh, you know, over the years. First year we had a 30 pound multi-bot uh, shaman, rip shaman, we love you. And, uh, but it was 30 pounds that, you know, we took away from and, uh, and it got blown up uh, pretty easily by a 250 pound, you know, robot this is going to just annihilate a 30 pounder. So it didn't really do anything for us from a competitive standpoint. Um, but, you know, obviously it, it did, it was a weight uh, penalty against witch doctor. So getting rid of shaman was unfortunate uh, for the aesthetic, but obviously it helped us be able to put more armor on the robot and beef up certain parts of it. So, um, yeah, I think just improving it year over year is, is while keeping it new, you know, we don't, we don't want to show up with the exact same robot every year, but incrementally improve it. And, and we've, we've always, <laughs> we've always struggled with reliability, uh, unfortunately with Witch Doctor and even, even this last season, um, you know, in our qualifying matches, there was a ton of smoke, you know, we lit on fire two or three times and barely squeaked by, uh, with winds, um, you know, we had issues with uh, our weapon motors mostly. And uh, to go and going into the top 16, we actually luckily Tormach was on site and they were able to machine parts for us there. Um, so we were able to actually, we had to cut a bunch of other stuff off the robot because we were right at 250, but we were able to switch weapon motors uh, to, to long mags, which were, uh, you know, twice the power basically what we had in there um, going into top 16. And, um, and just, you know, we were able to do that on the fly. Luckily, we almost didn't. They were, production was, you know, like, hey, come on, you got it. Your next fight's up. And we're like, we don't even have pulleys to put on the robot. But uh, yeah, a lot of people think of improving the robot, like improving <clears throat> in between seasons. But I think especially this year, we saw a lot of improvement in Witch Doctors just from one match to the next. Because like you said, it's so hard to test the robot that a lot of the improvement comes. You, you test it and it doesn't work and you make it better. And do it over and over again until you know somebody eliminates you from the tournament so there was a lot of that for us this year it's really interesting um mary Catherine carr has a follow-up question for andrea specifically so she writes you wear a lot of hats on top of your super awesome witch doctor top hat maker fair organizer witch doctor captain author inspirer of future roboteers i would add you know youtuber i've been watching all the youtube uh videos so that's really cool um, so what keeps you going? I'm sure we could all use some advice on overcoming hardships in this time of hardships. Yeah, especially when you say it like that, it really sounds like I'm all over the place. Um, but I'd say it really comes down to, to being part of, being a maker, and being part of the maker community. You know, we're at a maker fair right now, having this conversation because BattleBots is really a subset of the maker community. Um, and all the things that I'm super passionate about that you mentioned that I'm involved with are all really part of you know, contributing to that community and growing that community. So, you know, anytime I need motivation, like what motivates me to make Witch Doctor better, it's that I know I'm going to come next year. And even though Fight Force has won three times, his robot is not going to be the same. He's going to make it better. And we still don't know how to beat everybody, no matter how many times we come back, because everybody's challenging us by bringing their A game, you know. So, um, and all these projects that you mentioned and every single one of them I'm collaborating with some incredible people um, and yeah I'd say anytime I need motivation or, or 
you know, trying to overcome some challenges. I just try to surround myself with some of those incredible makers that I've met and, and kind of feed off of their energy, you know. That's so great. Um, I have a, a silly question from blacksmith captain Al Kendall, who uh, asks, what does the bird hat smell like? Uh, have you ever left a gym bag in your trunk for? <laughs> no, actually, uh, the honest, the real answer is it, uh, I, it doesn't really smell like anything. I mean, it, I don't wear it, that, uh, you know, casually uh, out on the weekends. So it, it doesn't get a whole lot of uh, time on my head um, at BattleBots just for fights and stuff and interviews or whatever. But um, anytime we do fan meet and greets or go to maker fairs or anything like that, uh, we always make sure to bring uh, at least, you know, a couple jackets and some hats so that fans can try them on and, and you know, take pictures and stuff like that. And uh, I don't think anybody's complained about smell. So I, I'm assuming it doesn't smell like that. That's good. Um, on over to Ray and Tombstone. Uh, we have a question from Brandon Carr who asks, Tombstone's points of failure always seem to come from rather unpredictable places, like the blade hitting the weapon <laughs> chain or the internals catching fire. Is there any way to plan for points of failure like these? Well, I mean, you know, a, a, a combat match is barely organized chaos. I mean, it's not something where you, you don't really have an idea what's going to break. You can think about it ahead of time, but all you can really do is go in, run it in a match, see what breaks, and then try to fix that part. The, the, the problem comes sometimes you'll fix one thing and then you'll find you screwed up three other things in the process and then you got to go back and fix those two. It's just a, a, a constant bit of updating over time. Just keep breaking stuff and, you know, fixing it again. The, the, the easiest way to build a great robot is to make a bunch of robots that suck first. So that's the, that's the, the only thing you can do is just keep, just keep making them better over time. Yeah, um, we have a, a question from Mary Catherine Carr who asks, you're well known as playing a villain on BattleBots despite also being well known as being the nicest guy involved in BattleBots. Do you have a villain name for your villain persona? And what do you do to get into character, this villainous character, to deliver us those evil laughs and iconic villain quotes? Um, okay, so part of the TV mindset on when they're filming things is they, they feel like they need a bad guy. And it, it can't, you can't just be a dick. It's not enough to, to, to you know, you, you kind of have to genuinely have a chance of winning the event. You have to be relevant, but then you have to be sort of, you know, the, the, the one everybody wants to cheer against sort of thing. TV thinks that they need that. And it, became really obvious in season one that for whatever reason, I was that guy. They had just picked me to be that guy. And wanting the show to succeed and wanting the, the, this to continue for as long as possible, I guess, sure, I'll, whatever, I'll, I'll wear that hat. I'll put on the black hat and I'll be the, I'll be the villain. Um, Interestingly, I found it was very easy for me to do that. And I don't know what it says about my personality to, to say that because, because you know, I am genuinely a nice guy, and I had absolutely no problem whatsoever in just being, I, I could, yeah, you want some more? I'll give you some more. So, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what that says about it's my personality. It's really fun to just destroy stuff sometimes. That's really <laughs> it, it, it is fun to break things. Yeah, it is. 
I guess that's it. Um, Mary is going to uh, put you on the record here. Um, so she asks, does Tombstone's Tank Steed have a name? Because I've heard rumors of the name, but I want to okay. hear its official name. And maybe you right. can uh, give the context for people who are, who are watching. All right, so, so we use a delivery robot to carry Tombstone into the arena. And um, it looks like on screen, because we're ignoring it. We walk in, the robot just follows it up and go in the arena. So it, it actually looks like it's fairly autonomous. Um, it's not. It's being driven by somebody. There's somebody driving it into the arena. Uh, these robots came from um, one of my sponsors, NPC Robotics. They were trying to develop a platform for uh, military use and police use. And that's, that's where this, this started. Um, and at, at one point in time, they decided to move on from that project. And so they had these and I go, yeah, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take one of these. And the, the name they were going to have for these robots was Black Dog Robotics. They were going to start a new division of their company. And the, the original Black Dog was the Norm's pet dog, which was named Jack. And so the first robot that we got from them actually has a plate on the top that says Jack. It was named Jack from, from the, the actual company that built it. Um, later on, we got a second one. So we, have, we actually have a pair of them. And because my, my teammate Rick is the one who sort of spearheaded the work on all of those. And so just because he's got a weird sense of humor like me, he named that one Jill. So we have Jack and Jill. Those are the two robots <laughs> that, 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 that carry them into, into the arena. That's so great. Um, they're kind of cool. cool. They're head. They're about 350 pounds, and they could tow a car away. They have an amazing amount of power. Wow. So they're they're actually really cool for what what we use them for. I mean, they they don't even know that uh, robots on top. They're 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 kind of interesting. That's awesome. And then uh, my final fan question for you: uh, What advice do you have for all the future roboteers who want to come fight Tombstone in the future? <laughs> if you're just starting out, the 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 best advice I can give you is to start out small, okay, which I didn't take. When I first started, my first robot was a middleweight, 120 pounds. And, you know, I didn't know there were smaller events out there. So starting out with ant weights, the little ones, that's that's absolutely the easiest way to get started because you, you learn all the same skills. You have a lot of the same fun. You meet a lot of the same builders, but you're only spending a few hundred dollars instead of many thousands of dollars. So it's a great way to start out in the, in the from there, it's just a matter of deciding, show up to a few events, build some things that you like. You'll get an idea of what you want to build going forward. And then you can start stepping up in weight categories to try to get up to something like on BattleBots. So cool. Um, I was hoping to, uh, to ask um, Mike and Andrea this next question. What advice would you give someone who currently competes in lower weight classes who's looking to move into heavyweights? Yeah, that, it's definitely a big step up. I think, um, you know, like Ray said, we've all built, or at least, you know, a lot of us have built smaller robots before the bigger robots. Um, when I started the, the high school and college class was the 120 pound class. So I built that as my first robot, which, you know, looking back was kind of a crazy thing to do. Um, but yeah, ev everything you learn in the small robot scales up. Um, it's, it's a little different than just pressing like 10 times scale and, and printing that. Um, but my advice would be to go to as many events and compete as much as you can and, and meet people while you're there. Talk to the builders that are making the bigger robots. 
Um, you don't have to do this on your own. BattleBots is very, very much a team sport. It's you know one of my favorite parts of the sport. Um, so if you're going to build a heavyweight, chances are you're not going to do it by yourself. You're going to do it with the team. So find those people um, that are ex as excited as you and, and share the skill set. So you don't have to learn how to do every single thing to build a heavyweight. You know. So so yeah, my advice would be to find a team and and put in the time to learn how to do it. I mean, you've heard that we've all been building robots for for 10, 20 years. So we didn't just jump on and build for the first time on BattleBots, you know, which I think is a common misconception um, because they're super, super active uh, robot combat community that has events, I'd say almost every week before the pandemic. So you heard um, Julia Miles talk about it as far as Australia. So it's all over the world. Uh, BattleBots is not the only place to compete. So it's not the best place to get your first experience. Yeah. Um, I'd love to uh, direct the next question to Paul. So Mad Catter teammate Calvin Eba asks, what up and coming robots are you particularly worried about? I, I, all right, I don't think you worry about <laughs> up and coming robots, but maybe, maybe ones that, that, you, um, that you find intriguing, you know, um, things that, uh, that you see on the horizon that are new to the 2020 season that, uh, that are, are interesting to you. I'm a, I'm a worrier. I, I worry about every robot, to be honest. Um, and, and seeing the pictures this past year uh, from 2019 to 2020, actually, I've seen so many teams really stepping up their game and um, building a ton of impressive things. I think, uh, especially you watch a robot like Bloodsport, which in the past would have been an ideal matchup for our robot. Um, there's nothing better to us than just a horizontal spinner with no floor scraping wedges or anything like that. Versus now that robot has, you know, four uh, hinged little wedgelet things and a stronger self-rider and a big billet chassis and more reliable uh, brush motors, drivetrain kind of thing. So you take robots, which even looked like an optimal matchup for us before, and then now they're a very tough matchup. Um, and so every robot certainly concerns me and, uh, and, and worries me about that. But I'm really excited to see, I, I love the sort of engineering side of BattleBots and um, Chomper Walk for the, the Walker version of Chomp, for example, is one of the robots I'm most excited to see up close because um, when I see a robot like Chomp or, uh, or Quantum or anything where there's a lot of engineering and machine parts, I just keep staring at it and, and checking it out whenever I take a break walking around the pits. Um, I don't usually get a chance to walk around and see all the robots, but I have a lot of time to check out the robots I enjoy. Uh, many times. So I'll spend hours checking out certain robots um, before even making a way to the other part of the room if I know it. It's really interesting. So anything with uh, really complex mechanical bits and where it's not obvious how it works up close, uh, that's the most exciting part. And of course, I also really like watching sort of the absurd robots. So whether or not they do well or not, it doesn't matter, but it's always fun to watch something like Deep Six spinning up in the test box, anything like that. Uh, you know, if Ice Wave turns on its engine and everyone wants to come check it out. Uh, so any robot that's just loud and impressive and cool is, is still awesome to me. Even though our team's robots are more uh, conservative looking, um, that's still what interests me is the engineering part of it. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, Julia Miles, uh, we have a question from Matthew Cahoy about uh, BattleBots toys. Um, so out of all the current bots without a toy, which bot would you like to see being made into a hex bug? Obviously, we need a death roll toy. 
Um, but who else, you know, beyond death roll should, uh, should get the uh, hex bug treatment next? Well, Lockjaw Nate deserves one. He's been building robots. Oh, yeah. uh, 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 Donald Hudson, yeah, he's been building robots forever, so he needs one. And his robots look so cool. Uh, he, he doesn't have one, does he? I don't think there's a, a Lockjaw um, one, but uh, yeah, he deserves one. Uh, who else? Um, yeah. No, I agree with Lockjaw, actually. They've got some of the very old toys from the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, he's got, yeah, he's got them. We wouldn't have there. them in Australia. Yeah, we, didn't, we never got those. <laughs> uh, oh, it'd be good to see Hydra, I guess. That'd be a good one. Um, what else? Um, uh, what I'd like to see Whiplash. Oh, yes. Whiplash, yes, sure. yes, yes. Whiplash, yeah. one yeah. of our favorites. And deserves it, too. Yeah. Um, oh. Not which doctor because they've already got two. <laughs> <laughs> which we have. <laughs> We've got them both. We've got them both. Oh. Um, I can add to that. Um, I, I've been fortunate with Tina to visit um, down at the Hexbug sort of X headquarters, and they have a lot of toys in development uh, that they're building. So it's not the toys you see, it's not sort of which one are they working on next. Um, they in the summer have interns working on dozens of the Valabot toys um, in all different scales. Uh, so they're constantly prototyping and playing to see what works well and plays well. So there's definitely a lot of things that can happen. Yeah, I won't yeah. comment on which ones, but is there, they have a <laughs> lot in process. <laughs> a lot more than you'd expect. Yeah. yeah. The more the merrier. We want to see them all. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, with five minutes left, I wanted to end with a few silly questions, I guess, for everybody. Um, so the first one is from EJ Crop, who asks a question for everybody. So weigh in if you have a particularly strong opinion. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Oh. I think a hot dog is a hot dog. No. <laughs> yeah, I think if it's got the two slices of bread, it's a sandwich. A hot dog, it's joined. So. Exactly. Okay. It could be, it could be a taco. I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah, it's a hot dog. It's not a sandwich. Uh, um, and then finally, Ellie the Elliebot Captain Sarah Malian asks, if you were to form a BattleBots band, what would you call yourselves? Well, I'm it's like a super band, like, you know, between, you know, everybody on, on the panel tonight, or I guess just your team. Uh, I, would, um, I would call our band Death Roll because it's such a great name for a band. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd be Witch Doctor. That's, that's See, I was just saying the Witch Doctor should be a great one too. Yeah. yeah. Ray and the Tombstones or something. Oh, the robot names are almost like band names in themselves. Just, just, just about, yeah. <laughs> right. exactly. it's the no, we're the Rolling Stone Bite Doctors. Yeah. <laughs> oh Whenever people think of bands and battle bots, I always think of if you search on the internet, you can find old Mark Satrakian and Greg Munson uh, pictures when Mark Satrakian used to have long, foot long hair and they would do oh, yeah. a heavy metal band. Yeah. You got to look know, those for, up. The first time I signed with his hair all cut, looking like a businessman, it was like I didn't even <laughs> recognize him, you know? <laughs> Well, I want to thank all of you for uh, for joining us on this panel. Paul Ventimiglia, Andrea Galately, Mike Galately, Ray Billings, Julie Pitts, and Miles Blow. Thank you so much. We are uh, so looking forward to seeing you in the Battle Box again soon. Thank you. I think we're all happy to be here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs>
After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we travel to South Korea, where researchers at the Seoul National University of Science and Technology have developed a miniature robot that's designed to grab objects in the blink of an eye. The so-called Snatcher robot weighs less than one pound and is capable of extending its metal tongue out by more than two feet and retracting back into itself in little over half a second. The researchers say that Snatcher could be mounted on the bottom of drones and used to grab lightweight objects from above, which I, you know... Like my sunglasses. <laughs> like your sunglasses. Or maybe we're all dining out at a restaurant and I try to, like, float Snatcher over to another table. And then I, like, take their calamari because I ordered calamari and I didn't and it looked good. The most delightful thing about Snatcher is uh, the researchers, they, they published this video to YouTube where they turned Snatcher into, like, a handheld gun. <laughs> and uh, you could press a button and this this metal tongue would extend like out in milliseconds and uh they were trying to turn on and off uh like a light switch with it and it was like <laughs> it looked like the most inefficient way to hit a light <laughs> switch but uh probably the most delightful and fun way to mm. uh to turn on and off the lights in a room 2020 needs more delight and more fun so i'm all for it right but does it make octopus balls <laughs> I suppose you, context, that's a very weird question can you can you imagine if, if snatcher was working like you know a takoyaki stand and uh just blasting these half-cooked octopus balls you know that, and like, I mean, uh, if i honestly got this this robot i would probably use it to steal takonaki <laughs> that's that's pretty good that's really good well, that's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another panel discussion from Maker Fair Miami. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye, Bye. folks. Bye-bye. 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 Oh, that was really fun, guys. <laughs>